Menno Middle got you down? Crush your sugar cravings with delicious, all-natural Bossa Bars from Menopause, created to help women manage weight loss and energy during the pause. Try them at bossabars.com and save 10% every time with code KD10. Welcome to A Certain Age, a show for women who are unafraid to age out loud. If you've made it to midlife, there is no doubt, none at all, that you have faced disappointment and loss. My guest today is a woman who took a major loss in life upheaval and alchemized it into art and story and is now spreading the power of self-love to light the darkness as we navigate challenges and change. Meet Wendy Knox, a former Los Angeles ad creative, author of From Muck to Magic and a Self-Proclaimed Uplifter, perhaps the best title of all. Welcome, Wendy. Oh, I'm so happy to be here, Katie. I'm really thrilled. You have such a beautiful book. I follow you on social media. I was thrilled to get my own copy of From Muck to Magic and get my hands on your beautiful illustrations. I would love it if we could start by having you share the origin story of this book. Okay. Well, once upon a time, <laughs> I had a job as the only senior vice president creative director at uh, one of the biggest ad agencies in Los Angeles. I was in charge of the advertising for brands like Honda and Acura. And um, around 50, I lost that job. And they said it was uh, cutbacks, but honestly, it felt a lot like ageism and sexism. Advertising is such a young business, and I was the only one at my age, the only woman at 50 in a position like that. So um, I found myself one day sobbing in my backyard because this hadn't just been a job. It was a career that I'd worked up the corporate ladder for 25 years to get to this position. And I was kind of like Don Draper, you know, from Mad Men, but without the cigarettes or the marketing. <laughs> so it was a pretty big job and it was a pretty big loss because um, at the time I had a little boy at home I had parents having uh, physical and financial problems and a husband who's an entrepreneur, which I say is French for no health plan. (laughs) I love it. By the way, I'm stealing that line, Wendy. I'm stealing it. I know you're a copywriter. I'm stealing that. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. Just put a TM after it. So um, (laughs) there I was sobbing in my backyard and, uh, not knowing what I was going to do next. And I just was so desperate. I said a prayer to the universe and I asked, am I too old to reinvent myself? Please give me a sign. And I went for a walk. And when I came home, my backyard was filled with hundreds of red dragonflies. I'd never seen a dragonfly in my backyard. I didn't know they came in red and they ended up staying for four days. And, um, By that point, I started Googling dragonflies like crazy. And I discovered that dragonflies spend most of their lives crawling in the muck at the bottom of a pond. And while they're down there, they shed their old skin and grow new skin up to 15 times over four years until one day they climb out of the pond into the sunlight and their wings unfurl and they take off later in life. And 
When I heard this, read this, I was so blown away and I thought, oh my God, they're giving me a message. I asked for a sign. They don't even get their wings until later in life. I think they were coming to me because I'm a dragonfly. And um, that was really only the beginning. It was nuts. Everywhere I went in LA, there were dragonflies on all the freeways, the, the 110, the 405, the 10 on Hollywood Boulevard, Sunset Boulevard. And finally, one day, my husband and I were on vacation and there was another swarm of red dragonflies. And as crazy as it sounds, I said, I think these dragonflies know I'm a writer and a branding expert. And I think they want me to get their story out in the world. <laughs> and I know it's insane. My husband rolled his eyes as he often does, but those dragonflies were the inspiration behind my book. I said another prayer and I said, how can I uplift and inspire people with this dragonfly story? And I found myself in a lot of muck in other areas of my life. But then one day something propelled me kind of like the dragonfly to crawl toward the light. I sat at my computer and the words to a poem came to me. And I started meditating on how to illustrate it. And one by one, the paintings came and, you know, you have the book. It's kind of like, uh, I think of it as Dr. Seuss for adults. You know, have you ever been stuck? So stuck in the muck with the yuck and the guck that you thought, what the? (laughs) I love this book. First of all, I'm blown away by this story. It's such a compelling visual. Just to hear, um, I mean, I have the book, so I see how you've illustrated it. But hearing your words describe these hundreds of red uh, dragonflies and the fact that they shed their wings and sort of recreate themselves 15 times is so uh, wild. I had absolutely zero idea. what an incredible story. And so what has the response been to this book as you've been sharing it and bringing it out into the world? Well, you know, it's interesting. There are people that just when they see my paintings, they start crying in recognition. When I was at the, um, the book fair at UCLA a couple years ago, I had a little 10 year old girl come up and she saved she took out the money she'd save for her allowance to, to buy it. I mean, I hadn't really thought of it for children, but this little girl had lost her mother. And the idea of growing our magic in the muck of loss and grief touched her. I've had people, you know, suffer with depression who it's touched, people who have undergone great loss or just, you know, women who are getting older, who are growing our wings later in life. It seems to touch people in different ways. I mean, there's some people that just say, oh, that's cute. Right. (laughs) And okay. And then there's other people that are really stirs deeply. And um, I think like the dragonflies, you know, it kind of sprinkles its magic in whatever way someone somebody needs at that time yeah so Wendy I'm curious you wrote the book in 2018 right this was two years before the world changed overnight uh (laughs) we've had a very um you know unsettling depressing at times deeply scary uh world over the last two years how have you found magic in the muck of the past two years well that is such a great question. And actually, for me, 
I had even more muck than the pandemic. Um, I have a son who's 27 now, but he has suffered with um, depression and uh, addiction. And we faced some very scary times uh, at the beginning of the uh, pandemic. And my husband, who I've been married to for 35 years and is my best friend and soulmate, he got a kind of scary diagnosis, which fortunately is looking much better than we thought. But so the two people closest to me were in very deep crisis and I was the glue holding this together. So there was muck on the outside world and there was a lot of muck on my inside world. And one of the lessons of the dragonfly is this sounds crazy, but it's like to be one with the muck. They spend a lot of time in the muck and they find sustenance there. It's where they, they nourish themselves and they shed the old story, the old skin to grow their wings. So one of the things that I do when I'm going through times like that is I allow myself to feel the feelings because I believe that the only way to get out of the muck, the emotional muck we all find ourselves in, is to allow ourselves to feel our feelings. So I give myself the opportunity to cry, to yell, to kick, to do lions and yoga, whatever it takes. And I also look for the gifts in the muck. I mean, as difficult as it is at times, even with COVID, there's been tremendous gifts. People learning how to be instead of do, people connecting in different ways, you know, people discovering what really matters. So I believe that even in the suckiest, yuckiest times, <laughs> there are gifts, yes. there is magic. And the more grateful we can be for that, the more our lives transform. Such a beautiful um, way to, to, to sort of tackle challenge and, and, and transition and fear. I love everything that you shared. And um, I love the way that you process this for yourself. We're going to head into a quick break, but when we come back, I want to ask you what would be some tools you might offer listeners as they look to reframe their own situation to take it from muck to magic. We'll be back after this quick break. Midlife is a crazy balancing act. Careers, relationships, home life, bank accounts, empty nests, aging parents, not to mention fun, fitness, and friends. We're living longer, stronger, healthier, and happier. We're living life fully charged. We're living Brightly. Brightly is a modern membership company and digital platform built to fuel life 50 plus. Powered by the belief that age and experience are rocket fuel and that 50 is a fantastic yet underrated club, Brightly offers tools, benefits, content, and inspiration for living life fully charged. Brightly offers exclusive benefits from top brands like Warby Parker, HelloFresh, and Minted. Brightly offers tools and classes to help you get things done built just for this life stage. Brightly offers voices of experts, influencers, and a community all living life 50 plus. Come be Brightly. Sign up for the free Brightly newsletter at thisisbrightly.com and follow the fun on social at thisisbrightly. Wendy, we're back. You shared so beautifully some of the ways that you navigate feeling and, and managing challenging situations, allowing yourself to feel fully present in, in the grief and, and, and sob and cry and, you know, maybe work it out in yoga. 
uh, all wonderful suggestions. What might you offer listeners as a tool if they need to reframe and, and navigate and throw their arms around their own situations that feel, you know, mucky? <laughs> well, one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot, which is a big source of muck, and it's so appropriate with the name of your show, is aging in our culture. And the stories, I call it an age cage, you know, where so many of us are stuck and imprisoned in these stories, these narratives of what it is to be an aging woman in our culture. And um, one of the ways that I have been navigating this is um, I call it finding uh, the, the light, finding what lights you up. You know, there's so much, uh, so many negative images about aging and there's so many things even besides aging in the outside world that we can't control. So I find that when we connect with the wisdom of our own hearts and really go within to find what brings us joy, what lights us up, what gives our hearts a yes, that makes such a difference. So one of the things I do is like I go outside and I, I live in Ojai, California, which is such a beautiful place, but wherever you are to go outside and to breathe and to maybe lay on the grass or lay on the ground. And I call it pledging allegiance to your heart. You know, we're so busy with what's going on out there and pleasing everyone else putting your hand on your heart and asking what would make you feel good right now. And, you know, the dragonflies crawl toward the light and that's where their wings open. If we crawl toward what lights us up, you know, maybe it's taking a time out and just sitting and reading something inspiring. Maybe it's walking barefoot on the grass. Maybe it's doing something you love doing as a child, like blowing bubbles, but something to shift the energy and to remind you of the little moments of magic and to listen to your own heart instead of the news and anticipating what would make your spouse or your kid or your boss happy, but really let's take the time to listen to what would fill you up. I, I, this notion of pledging allegiance to your own heart is so beautiful. And it's such a, um, you know, it's, it's sort of sticky. Like it's going to stick in my my consciousness. It's going to be something I think about a lot when I'm I'm making choices about how I spend my time. And and the some of the tools that you offered are really simple. You know, like get outside, get into nature, ask yourself what you want to do, what what like used to let you up, uh, and, and to really prioritize that. That's wonderful. So this is this is the age cage that you're talking about. You had shared with me. Um, when, you know, I invited you to be a guest that you were working on a TED talk. Is this, this is what you're, is this the topic that you're going to be focusing on during this talk? Yes. It's called breaking out of the age cage. And it's about changing the stories we tell ourselves individually and as a culture, you know, I was thinking about how I grew up in a time, I'm a little older than you. I grew up in a time when, um, they said, and maybe they did this when you were little too, that a lady never tells her age. Mm, you know? Right. That's and, a very, yes, it's common, but sort of a dated notion. But it's, you know, I it guess is. it probably sticks in people's 
it's still in there. You know, it's still in there. Like you talk about aging out loud and I'm doing that now, but I still know a lot of women who will not say their age because they're afraid it's going to hold them back career wise. And I've seen that in my own life. So I, in my talk, I talk about sort of the origins of where some of these thoughts and beliefs about aging come from. And I talk about becoming aware of the stories and then reframing them. You know, a lot of my career in advertising was about repositioning products and finding, uh, taking a weakness of a product and turning it into a strength. And I believe we need to do that with aging, like rebrand aging. And instead of thinking of it as, I was thinking if I wrote a tagline for aging, it would be aging. It's about becoming more of who you are, not less of what you were you know, and telling ourselves a different story. So when the stories are so powerful. I mean, it's, it really helps. I've had, I've had guests on the show. I had Elise Musilas come on to talk about food story in her book and about shifting the narrative around her relationship to food. I love this notion of yeah. shifting our narrative around aging. We do tell ourselves age stories. Like you just shared one, one, I, you know, ladies don't age, you know, don't share their age. What's another age story that you, do you feel um, impacts Women and, and Wendy, how old are you? Um, may I ask? I'm 68. So you're 68. So what's an age? Because you reference your generation. What would be an age story that you hear from from your own peers? Uh, I'll tell you. Um, when my husband and I moved out of Los Angeles to this magical little town, it's like an hour and a half from LA, called Ojai, people would say to me, "Oh, so are you retiring?" Mm. And I would look at them like aghast because honestly, I feel like I'm just getting started. I feel like I'm just <laughs> figuring out what I'm really meant to do, you know, what my soul's work is. And they'd say, are you retiring? And I'd have to stop myself and go, okay, that's their story, not mine. And how can I reframe this? So I say, no, I'm not retiring. I'm refiring. <laughs> and Nice. So it's like, you know, really listening carefully or when somebody I hear people say all the time and I just hate this, like, well, you know, at our age, I mean, we don't need to do this anymore or at our age and anything that starts with at our age really <laughs> bugs me because yes. honestly, you know, I've got a little arthritis in my feet. But other than that, I feel the youngest I've ever felt because I feel like I've really connected in with what my passion is and a calling that's bigger than myself. And I feel like that keeps us young and vibrant. But, you know, we're surrounded in a culture with these anti-aging products and everybody's picture retouched and I've decided that the best anti-aging product is our brain. And if we retrain our brain, it can make a difference in how we age. I've even read studies where they said that when you have a more positive attitude about aging, it can add like seven and a half years to your life. 
I bet. I, I absolutely. Our mind is so powerful, and we believe the stories that we tell ourselves. And if we're telling ourselves a story that we're too old or too fill in the blank to do something, you know, we're right. But if you tell yourself, "Why not me?" You know, and and you you put yourself in that that spirit of optimism and possibility, you know, maybe it's going to happen. It might not, but you're 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 halfway there. You haven't sort of you know set yourself up for. Uh, failure by you know refusing to even start or try. So Wendy, you talked a couple. You said that uh, we tell ourselves stories both individually and as a culture, and I, we've touched on a few of the stories that maybe that you've shared or you've heard firsthand. What are some of the cultural stories that um, society says about aging that you want to be shifting with your talk and with your work and advocacy? Well, you know, it starts when we're young with just like uh, the fairy tales we've heard. The older women are the scary old witches that live in the forest and gobble up little children. Or the movies that I saw as a kid, you know, and I'm sure you have too, of the older spinster lonely woman or the crazy cat woman or the poor beggar woman. And those things kind of go into our bloodstream. You know, there was a uh, time, I've read a bunch of books about this, where thousands of years ago at the time when the goddess was worshipped, uh, older women were revered in the culture. And there's still a few cultures where they are, but not exactly ours. But they were the medicine, medicine women and the wise women and the leaders. And um, when you look at our culture, like older women are referred to as hags. And in the dictionary, you know, a hag is defined as an ugly old woman. But ironically, the word hag comes from the Greek word hagia, which means holy. And the word crone in the dictionary is defined as a skinny, ugly old woman. <laughs> and the word crone is derived from crown. So just the words that we use, you know, and... Um... Yeah, aging has a real vocabulary problem. And I've had this conversation with multiple guests. You know, I, I had Christine Marie Mason of Rosebud Woman, which is a luxury line of plant-based um, feminine uh, and sexual wellness you know, care products. And mm -hmm. she's got a wonderful book called Reverence. And she talks about this notion of croning, which used to be something that was a, a ritual to welcome women, you know, into the sort of their post-menopausal phase and their rightful place in culture, as, as you shared, like the wise woman, sort of the matriarchal leader of a culture. And now we hear the word crone and we instantly think of, you know, a Disney witch. So, exactly. you know, we some of the words have been co-opted and, and, and um, I don't know, just transformed in, an, in a negative way. But we do have a problem with aging because we have we have age boxes like Gen X, you know, which I identify with. We've got boomers. We have, you know, um, Gen Z, all of this, all of this stuff. And there's just not enough of, of a vocabulary for describing sort of these ever-blooming people, which, you know, Gina Powell, another guest on the show, has defined as being a perennial, you know, somebody who's ever-blooming. Yeah. Ever and that's a wonderful word, and we all need to take it on and use it. But, you know, th there should be other ways. I, I even struggle with the word midlife, which I use all the time, because I'm 52. 
you know, am I really living to 104? I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I don't. We'll see. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's it's tricky. So I think a- any listener who is, is nodding their head right now and thinking there needs to be better words, please give them to me. You can, you know, DM them to me on Instagram or send me your ideas because we really do need to, to have a new vocabulary to describe this, this sort of concept of, of getting older in a way that doesn't feel negative. Well, you know, I've actually thought a lot about that. And in my perfect world, we would be called dragonflies because we're shedding our old stories. We're shedding the need to please everyone and the need, you know, we're shedding lack of confidence, hopefully. And and a lot of the things that are struggles when you're younger and we're growing more into our true selves, our true colors. And it's an expansive model of aging and transformation as opposed to shrinking to fit, you know, and disappearing. But I don't know if that'll catch on, Katie, but maybe we can. Well, you're going to, you're going to, Wendy, you're making it catch on and I'm going to help you because we're (laughs) talking about your book and this concept of being a dragonfly. So I want to shift gears for a minute and ask you a question. You you shared at the top of the show that you had this um, very, you know, dislocating identity sort of collapse when you lost your job. That was a big part of your identity at 50. And you know, we're so um, impacted that you were, you know, sobbing in your yard and asking the universe for for assistance to kind of, you know, give you a sign and, and get you back on your footing. I want to I want to ask you what um, role your age and sort of midlife experience at that played during this moment and how you reacted. You know, and I think this is a two part question. You know. Was losing your job at 50 harder than, say, losing it at a younger age? But what role, if any, did midlife and your experience and wisdom play in allowing you to bounce back? And since this is a two-part question, let's start with the beginning. Do, okay. you, do you think losing a job at 50 is harder than at 30? Does, does being a certain age impact, um, did it play a role in that moment? Yes. And... Um... Now, when I look back at it, 50 sounds so young, it's like kind of hard for me to believe I was freaked out. And there's so many women, you know, things have shifted in that time. Um, 50 seems a lot younger than it did. Uh, But I remember when I was in my 30s and I was uh, freelancing at one of the really highly awarded creative agencies in LA. And there was this woman who was 50, who there were very few role models for me, creative women at a high level. And in those days, and this woman had won every award that there was to win. And I just, you know, looked up to her so much. And I was shocked to hear a bunch of young guys in the creative department talking about her, that she was a hack. Now, why was she a hack? Because she was around 50. And, you know, what did they think? This brilliant woman had an expiration date on her talent, but that was the message. So when I turned 50, I remember my um, male partner meant well, but it really stung me. He said, well, you're not going to tell anyone you're turning 50, are you? And I just thought that was ridiculous. So I did tell people, my husband even brought a cake to my creative department on my birthday. 
And I lost my job a few months later. Now, coincidence? I don't think so. And the thing is, there were very few women at the top in um, ad agencies and even fewer. I was the only one in our company. There were other executive women, but they didn't have children. You know, their job was their whole everything. And um, it, I was concerned that there were so few jobs at my level for women. And I, I wasn't going to be able to get another one. And I was so tarnished from sort of this, you know, trusting relationship with a company that felt like family or that's how they position themselves that I couldn't bring it upon myself to go back in. So yeah, I think my age made a big difference. It, I'm sure that it did. I, you know, it, by the way, when you say that this was, you know, 18 years ago or so, and that, that things might have changed, I'm not so sure. Cause I've had a bunch of ad creatives on the show and I don't think advertise, you know, it's still, there's still a lot of ageism in, in, in that oh, yeah. industry. And there's a lot of ageism in other industries as well. So what about, but what role did being, did did your age, did the fact that you were 50 and at midlife and had this experience play any role in your ability to bounce back and recognize that you were turning from muck to magic? I mean, is this some, what role, if any, did your age and experience play? Well, it it Because it's a double-sided coin. Maybe you lost your job, yeah. you know, but I, I want to hear more about Well, this. I mean, I found... I mean, listen, the gift was I got to be the one picking up my kid at school and, you know, having quality time with him. And I started making friends. I mean, the only women I knew were these women in advertising. I hadn't really gotten to be much of a mommy and me kind of person because I always had to leave to go to work. So I kind of enjoyed the things that maybe other women were bored with, you know, being home. Uh, I started inviting women. I, I joined this group called the Goddess Collective, and it was a lot of sort of what I call goddesspreneurs, women using their creativity and creating their own path. And I would, if I met a woman that I really resonated with, I'd invite her over to tea. And for me to be able to have tea in my garden with a woman just talking about life was so inspiring and like a huge gift you know so I found a lot of gifts and the other gift was after years of being sort of the more steady breadwinner while my husband was so entrepreneur things shifted and he really upped his game in a different way and I got to have more freedom. And I freelanced instead of taking on another corporate job. And so, you, so there you, were a lot of gifts. In a it. lot of gifts. And I, you know, I think this sort of like pulls us back full circle to where we started, which is this notion of reframing the muck. It's part of it is looking and seeing the things that are the unexpected gifts in a, in a situation. And if we choose to focus on, you know, like the pandemic, some of us, an unexpected gift might be less of a commute or maybe more time with a loved one or, you know, a better relationship with our puppy, you know, whatever it might be, even during incredibly challenging times when when we can focus on the the silver linings and, um, you know, the pandemic really stripped things away. We got very, very, very focused on what was right in front of us. And you realized that maybe the health of your child was was more important than 
than other things. It, it allowed us to be grateful for things that we might have been ignoring in our, our busy, always on lives. Um, you know, one of the things that I noticed, like with this finding the gifts in our struggles or the magic in the muck, is there's also this thing, I don't know if you've heard this term, a spiritual bypass, where people just want to be positive. And I think it's really important. Like with my job, I mourned the loss of that job. I went to this painting retreat. I painted paintings of like sobbing women. I mean, I had a lot to get out. So, you know, again, it's like what I said before, allowing yourself the opportunity to crawl through the muck and not immediately have to say, oh, this is positive because there's loss, there's grief, there's all kinds of feelings that end up, I believe, feeding us and becoming gifts, but we have to allow ourselves to go through them. Absolutely. We are whole people. We have joys, loss, tension, sadness. It, it, you know, to be present in all of those feelings is what makes us, makes us human and what makes us dragonflies, Wendy. Uh, <laughs> we're going to shift gears now and move into our speed round because we're near the end of our show. And this is, I love doing this at the end. It's just a quick one or two word answer so we can get a little more from you before we wrap up. Are you ready? I think so. <laughs> People can sometimes sound nervous. It's totally fun and it's, you know, <laughs> zero pressure. Okay. okay. Right, uh, writing from muck to magic was? A catharsis. Nice. This simple activity always pulls me out of the muck. Finding what's right when things go wrong. The last new thing I tried that lifted my spirits. Oh, I've been taking uh, mixed media classes, and I just love it. Nice. I love learning new things, too. All right. When I see a friend struggling, here's how I help. Hmm. I try mostly to listen and to be and not do. The best part of creating a TED Talk is? Hmm. Bringing something out into the world that's been deep inside of me forever. The hardest part of creating a TED Talk. Is believing that people want to know what I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> they do. They do, Wendy. Okay. Thank if I, you. <laughs> if I could time travel, I would go back and tell my 50-year-old self this when she lost her big job. It's the best thing that ever happened to you. Fabulous. All right. Finally, your one word answer to complete this sentence. As I age, I feel. Mm, joyful. Joyful. Beautiful. Thank you, Wendy. This has been so much fun. I've been so thought provoking. I will never look at a dragonfly again without thinking of you. But before we say goodbye, I want to make sure our listeners know how to find you, your book, and be following along so they can learn when your TEDx is live. Oh, thank you, Katie. Um, my website is wendynox.com. And because I had to be different, I spelled Wendy with an I. My mother never forgave me. W-E-N-D-I-K-N-O-X.com. And that's where you'll find my book and my blog and uh, my TEDx talk when it's done. Fabulous. I will put that into the show notes. Thank you, Wendy. 
Thank you. This wraps A Certain Age, a show for women who are aging without apology. Join me next Monday when I talk with Celeste Lee of Care Beauty, which reimagines skincare for women struggling with hormone decline and menopause. Want to make sure you never miss an episode of A Certain Age? Sign up for our free weekly newsletter, Age Boldly, over on acertainagepod.com. Or follow the fun on Instagram at acertainagepod. Special thanks to Michael Mancini, who composed and produced our theme music. See you next time. And until then, age boldly, beauties.